Matthew 22, 15 to 33. And Jesus is still conversing with the Pharisees and all the, all the other hyhedrons. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favourites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and away they went. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. I'm told that's why they were called Sadducees. That's why they were Sadducees. They posed this question. Teacher, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. This is God's word for God's people. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 22 and verses 15 to 33 as we look at these verses this morning. Now, there's nothing worse, is there, than when someone tries to trip you up. And I don't mean physically. I mean when they try to get you to say something that you don't mean. When people try to twist your words and try to make you out that you said something that you never intended to say, usually to make them look good and to make you look bad. In the last couple of weeks, we have seen in Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus telling parables. And even though the parables are sometimes difficult to understand, the religious leaders have understood that Jesus has been speaking these parables against them, that he's been challenging them, 
And even though they might not understand completely the parable, they understand that Jesus is challenging them as the religious leaders. We've also thought through how, as we're going through Matthew's gospel from chapter 21 uh, through to near the end, that this is the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And even though he's always been unafraid to tackle the religious leaders and their hypocrisy, before his hour has not come. Whereas now, in this last week of his life, his hour has now come. He knows that this is coming to the climax. He knows what's going to happen to him at the end of the week on Good Friday. And he knows what's going to happen on the Sunday too. And so we see in this last week of Jesus' life that Jesus very much takes the religious authorities on head on. And he challenges them. Hence, we saw a few weeks ago Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. Hence, we understand some of the parables that he speaks. And the religious leaders, they don't like it. When, when, when Jesus is there in the temple overturning the tables, they're saying, well, whose authority are you doing this by? And then you hear Jesus telling these parables, and they understand that Jesus is speaking about them as hypocrites, basically. They don't like it. And we see in verse 15, the first verse that we read this morning, that the Pharisees meet together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now, when you take a step back from that just for a moment, that is quite extraordinary on a number of levels. You see, the Pharisees have not heeded anything that Jesus has said. They are not interested in the truth. Indeed, there might be an implicit acknowledgement here that Jesus does tell the truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to try and trap him, would they? The Pharisees are not interested in truth. They just want rid of Jesus. He's causing us difficulty. He's undermining us. Therefore, we want rid of him. That's their attitude. Now, the other thing to notice here this morning is to remember they are Pharisees. Who are Pharisees? Pharisees are religious leaders. They are the ones who are meant to be giving help and guidance to the people. They are the ones who the people looked up to. And yet they're getting it horribly, horribly wrong. And as we'll see, the Sadducees are no better either because they're pointing people away from the truth. They're pointing people away from Jesus. So in verse 15, we see the Pharisees plotting together to trap Jesus into saying something by which he can be arrested. And so they get some of their disciples along with supporters of Herod and they try to butter Jesus up. That's their first approach, isn't it? There's no other way of saying it. They're just full of flattery. We know how honest you are, they say. We know that you teach the Word of God truthfully. You are impartial. You don't have favorites. This is what they come to Jesus with. Now, ironically, even though they're saying these things with a forked tongue, these things are true of Jesus. 
But the Pharisees and their supporters, they don't mean that. All they're doing is, is buttering Jesus up or trying to. And yet all these things are not true of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are dishonest. They don't teach the Word of God truthfully. They aren't impartial. And they do show favoritism. So there's an irony right at the beginning here, isn't there? And we must always be wary of people who try to butter us up, who try to trick us or to trap us. Because it's quite clear that those who approach Jesus do not come with pure motives. Because once they've buttered Jesus up, or so they think, they then come to the point and they come to the question, don't they? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's their question. Now, Jesus sees right through their trap. He knows their evil motives. And it's now quite clear why these disciples of the Pharisees have also brought supporters of Herod with them. Because what they're trying to do is see where Jesus' loyalties lie. If Jesus says, in answer to their question, pay taxes to Caesar, then they'll accuse Jesus of being no friend of Israel, no friend of Herod, because this shows Jesus is disloyal. Because remember that Herod had an uneasy relationship with Rome. He didn't get on with with Pontius Pilate. And indeed, according to Luke 23, they only became friends, Herod and Pontius Pilate, as they opposed Jesus. So if he says that he shouldn't pay taxes, then he'll be accused of not being a friend of Caesar, the Roman emperor. That's the other side of it, isn't it? So if he says he should pay taxes, well, he's no friend of Herod, no friend of Israel. But if he says he shouldn't pay taxes, he'll be accused of not being a friend of Caesar, the Roman emperor. Because remember what the Jewish leaders shout to Pilate when he proposes to release Jesus after his arrest. They say, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. And so in bringing this question to Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They think they've got him. They think they've got him. We've tricked him. He's going to trip up one way or another. We're going to be able to arrest him. We're going to get rid of him. You see, taxes were a volatile issue in Israel. All of Rome's subjects, including the people of Israel, labored under heavy taxation. And some believed that paying any tax to pagan rulers contradicted God's lordship over his people. So if Jesus answers, pay taxes, he could lose favor with the tax-burdened people. If he answers, don't pay taxes, he can be accused of insurrection. You see the quandary. But it's no quandary for Jesus. Because Jesus is ready for them. You see, Jesus is not setting up a political kingdom, a spiritual one. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus takes a coin, a denarius, which has Caesar's profile on it. And he asks them, whose profile's on this? Whose picture's on it? Caesar's, they say. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what is God's. It's such a wise 
answer. Indeed, we see in verse 22 that his reply amazed them, and they went away. Probably despondent, I would think. They went away. The trap hadn't worked. Because Jesus is saying, yes, pay your taxes, obey civil laws, but also honor God. I.e., there are matters that belong to the civil government, but there are other matters which belong to God's realm. And so Jesus avoids their trap. But then after the Pharisees and their disciples have failed to trap Jesus, we see in verse 23 that the very same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. That's no coincidence, is it? Because everyone is up against Jesus. And the Sadducees, they tried to trap Jesus theologically. Now, what you need to know about the Sadducees was that they drew almost exclusively on the Pentateuch for their laws, i.e. the first five books of the, the Old Testament. And also... What you need to know is they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And they assume that those who believe in a resurrection life think that it's like the present life, that it's just like a continuation of life here on earth. And so they go through this implausible sequence of events where they, when they approach Jesus, where a man dies without children, leaving a widow. And according to Leverite marriage that you find in the Pentateuch in the Old Testament, a surviving brother of a childless deceased man was obligated to marry his sister-in-law to preserve the deceased man's family line. But in this example, there are seven brothers, and each of them marries the widow. On it goes. And there's no child, and eventually she dies. And their question is, so tell us, Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. You see, what the Sadducees are trying to do is to show the absurdity of believing in the resurrection. But Jesus takes them head on. You don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And Jesus then points out their error, because there is resurrection. But resurrection life will not be like it is here on earth. And he deals with marriage first. There won't be marriage in the resurrected life. And because of this, people would be like angels who are, who are not married. And then he deals with resurrection because he quotes the Sadducees some words from Exodus chapter 3, where Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. And Jesus shows that when God spoke these words to Moses, these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were, were, were long dead logically, but the implication is they are still alive because God has the power to raise from the dead those who believe in him. And so Jesus deals with marriage. There won't be marriage in heaven. And in terms of the resurrection, well, know your scriptures, Sadducees. Go back to the book of Exodus. It speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as though they were living, even though they were long dead. Because God is the God of the resurrection. 
And so Jesus also silences the Sadducees. And the crowds are astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Now, as we come to a conclusion today, what I want to do is to to look at the substance of each episode and apply it to today, but then also to think about Jesus in the context of this being his last week on earth and how the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to trick him. So firstly, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. How do we apply that in 2024? Well, we are required to pay our taxes. We are to live peaceable lives because we are ones under authority. We may not like some of the things that governments do or say, but unless it comes into conflict with our faith, then we should submit to it. For example, we might not like paying income tax. We might think the rate is too high or too low. We have a right to protest, especially if we feel it disadvantages the less well off. But we don't have a right not to pay it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's what Jesus is saying. At the same time, we should also give to God what is God's, i.e., we should not be so tied down to the world that we forget that if we are a Christian, that we belong not to this world, but to God. And we are called to serve Him, to honor Him, and to love Him as He has loved us. That's what it means to give to God what is God's. Now, in terms of Jesus' response to the Sadducees, it's important for us to realize there is resurrection. There is resurrection. Now, for most of you here this morning, you think, well, I knew that. You know, that's what I believe. I'm a Christian here. I believe there is life after death. Now, maybe you know that because the Bible is very clear about that, isn't it? And Jesus affirms it here. But a lot of people in society today believe that that life here on earth is all that there is. And there's nothing after that. But that's not a Christian belief, is it? Because we believe there is resurrection. And remember the context to this passage. Where are we? Monday, maybe Tuesday of Holy Week. What's going to happen at the end of the week? On Friday, Jesus is going to die on a cross. What happens on Sunday? Nothing? No. Resurrection. That's what happens on the Sunday. That's why we believe in it, isn't it? You see, if you think about it, Jesus shows the resurrection is real in the greatest way. By the Sunday, just at the end of the week. Because he is the first fruits. He is the one who has risen from the dead. So this life is not all that there is. An eternal life will be very different from here on earth. The Sadducees presume it will be a continuation of life on earth, but it won't be. You see, I'm sure we all have questions about what it will be like in heaven. Will I be sitting on the clouds playing a harp for eternity? I don't think so. But we have many questions I can't really answer. 
What age will we be in heaven? I've got no idea. Will I be better looking than I am now? Not a clue. What will our bodies be like? Will we recognize each other? I believe we will, incidentally. And maybe if you've been married more than once, you might have exactly the same question as the Sadducees. Who who will I be married to? But Jesus shows that life in the everlasting will be different. There won't be marriage. And we'll relate in a different way. And I'm sure in a wonderful way. Much more amazing way than here on earth. So that's the substance of Jesus' teaching. Now what about the context here? Because both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've been trying to trip Jesus up. But after both attempts, what's the result? Well, we are told with his reply to the Pharisees, his reply amazed them. And after the crowds heard what he said to the Sadducees, they were astounded. That's amazing just to have a wee think about, isn't it? Astounded and amazed. The Pharisees were going to trip Jesus up. They wanted him arrested. By the end of it, they go away amazed. The Sadducees, they're trying to trip him up theologically. See if we can get him. By the end of it, the crowds are astounded. Astounded and amazed. That's the result. You see, you cannot trap or trick God. And Jesus is in very nature God. He's never caught out. He's never dumbfounded because what he says is true. And throughout this last week of Jesus' earthly life, it's affirmed again and again what Jesus says is true. He truly is the way. He truly is the life. He truly is the truth. And the last thing is this, this morning. As people try to trap Jesus, so they will try to trap his followers. There will be people out there who will try to catch us out. Now, none of us here this morning are Jesus, and none of us here this morning are perfect. But we are called to be a people of integrity and a people of truth who stand firmly for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this to the disciples. You can anticipate that you'll be put on trial before the synagogues and religious officials. Don't worry how you respond. And don't worry what you should say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. And those words that Jesus says to the disciple are true for us. Those times when people try to trap us, we need to hold to the promise that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. So we see this morning, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they aren't really interested in the truth. All they're interested in is tricking Jesus so they can arrest him and get rid of him. He's inconvenient. I hope we see this morning also that it's all boiling up before we come to Good Friday and the cross. That it's all boiling up before we come to Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And this morning, 
as we come to the end of thinking about this passage, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the truth? Do you truly believe that this morning? As you look at the cross, it's an empty cross. Jesus is not there. He's risen from the dead. That's what Christians believe. It's the ultimate vindication that what Jesus said was true and that he is truth itself. So what about you this morning? Do you believe Jesus is the truth? Do you believe he is the way? Do you believe he is the life and the way to everlasting life, being with God forever and ever? And as we lift out our Christian life here on earth, let's be aware there will be people like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees, who will come to us, will say, you don't really believe that rubbish, do you? You don't really believe that there is resurrection? You don't really believe in that kind of God, do you? We'll try to trip us up, try to trap us. But we need to hold to the truth and trust that when those questions come, that the Holy Spirit will help us, enable us to be people who live for Christ. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much in this passage today, and we see the desire of the Sadducees and the Pharisees just to get rid of Jesus, because he's inconvenient. But Lord God, we see that Jesus is the one who tells the truth. He's the one who shows reality. He is the one who believes that there is resurrection. And at the very end of this same week, he will prove it because he will be raised from the dead. Lord God, in our lives, we recognize that sometimes people are out to trap us, to trick us. And perhaps they do that out of ill motive because they don't want to hear an inconvenient truth. They don't want to think about what life in the everlasting might be like. And Father, we pray that here on earth that we might be people of integrity, that we might give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we also might give to you what is due to you, Lord God. And that as people here on earth, we might understand that we are foreigners, that we are strangers here on earth that we actually belong to a different place. We belong in heaven with you, Lord God, because we are people of the resurrection. Heavenly Father, as we hold to that great truth, help it to affect how we live here on earth. Help us to serve you with all that we are and all we have. Help us to be a people of integrity and people of truth. So, Lord God, speak to us through your word today, we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.
and for his sake. Amen.